Every sport has their big, juicy controversy. Boxing has the Mike Tyson ear bite. Cycling has Lance Armstrong. Baseball has its steroid era. Curling has... Broomgate. It's a story of broken relationships, houses divided, corporate rivalry, and a performance-enhancing broom. It was a year I'd like to forget. Broomgate. Available now. Well, 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 uh, what a week it's been. The last couple of days, uh, got, it got lively. It got juicy. We're going to need to talk about some of that stuff. Coming up right now. Last Rock, eighth end, up by two. I don't think I'm, I don't think I'm white. I don't think you are either. Oh, oh. it's clean. Oh, don't oh. kill it, Ben. Don't kill it. Don't kill it. Line's really good. Welcome, everyone, to another show of Inside Curling. It's show number nine. Here's what's on the show today coming up. The Canadian Curling Club Championships was held this past week at the Ottawa Hunt Club. Uh, We're going to take a look at what happened there. The Canadian Seniors Championship are also happening in Sault Ste. Marie. Also, the Netherlands, the final qualifying event for the Olympics, got underway. We're going to get an update from Warren on that. Hot Rock Topics. Uh, I would say this is a hot topic for sure. This past week was a very interesting time for the top curling teams and one of the best men's teams in the world parted companies with its third player, Darren Molding. The mailbag, email us, insidecurling at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. We've got an interesting email we're going to read from a lady in Denver. She's with you, Warren, on this thing, maybe that the Canadian residency rule is a mess. (laughs) So uh, she's been listening. In the house this week, the one and only one of the most accomplished curlers in the world we're going to talk to brad gushu uh kev you're, and you're going to tell us a little story about the olympic trials it's not all bad when a team breaks up uh you're you're going to speak to us about that so we got a pack show uh what's happening around the curling world brought to you by sports interaction thanks a lot to those guys uh they are providing competitive odds on all sports sports interaction is canada's odds maker and you got to be 19 to play Canadian Curling Championships were held this past week at the Ottawa Hunt Club. Kev, your daughter-in-law was at this event. Uh, bring us up to speed. Yeah, yeah. Brittany, actually, uh, Carrick's wife, played in uh, for Alberta and did pretty good. They ended up losing the, the game going into the... Uh into the final four, but they did very well. But you know what? I ended up watching quite a bit of it. It was streamed, and they did a terrific job. Pete Stetsky, oh, a really good curler, actually, but also uh, the MC for the Grand Slam uh, events, was actually doing a lot of the, the announcing and did, did a fantastic job. And they're actually even, even using a telestrator, so it's fantastic. Anyway, let's uh, fill you in on the finals. So on the women's side, it was played at the Ottawa Hunt Club, a really nice club in Ottawa. Ice was very fast. We had the final four, Northern Ontario, Laroc against uh, Yukon's EB. Ontario Shields and Nova Scotia Thompson. In the final, Ontario took on Northern Ontario. Northern Ontario ended up winning the final 7-5. So congratulations to Rebecca Carr, Corey Adamson, Samantha Morris, and Tracy LaRock on the championship. Terrific. On the men's side, the final four. Saskatchewan taking on Ontario. Nova Scotia taking on PEI. Final game was incredible. A final score of three to two for Nova Scotia. Nova Scotia took a one coming home to win the championship. Congratulations to Ryan Sperry, Robert Phillips, Jason Van Vonderen, and Nicholas Deagle. A fantastic event, and anybody that knows uh, the way I talk about curling, I think this is fantastic. The Canadian Curling Club Championships. I'm a big fan of this event. Who can qualify for it, Kevin? 
any club around the country who wants to go? Well, it's obviously a four-player team. One player could have played at a competitive level in the past. The other three could not. Uh, and there's quite a few rules as to who can play, who can't play. It's uh, a little bit tricky as far as understanding. I don't know if that's well said, Warren, or not. But I think a little tricky is proper as to who can qualify and why. But I think it's just great to get your kind of your top club players into a championship. I think it's I think it's terrific. Yeah, and I mean it's a playoff like the other playoffs for the numerous Canadian championships we have. It, this time the team has to come out as a club champion, and they go into a playoff within their own province territory. And the winner comes out and represents that province or territory at the Canadian Curling Club Championships. You must have won this a few times, Warren. Jim, in my day, this wasn't around. (laughs) (laughs) What is around is the Canadian Senior Championships taking place in Sault Ste. Marie. That's, of course, the home of Brad Jacobs, another great Northern Ontario curler. What's going on there, Warren? Well, it's the Canadian Senior Men's and Women's Championship that happens annually. Just to clarify, it's for people over the age of 50, and it's run again like the Briar Scotties. There's 14 representatives, one from each province and territory, and they enter into a similar type of playoff. The teams are put into two pools. They play a round robin, and when the round robin is finished, I believe, again, eight teams, uh, four from each division, advance to the next round. And finally, the playoffs for the Canadian Championship involve the top four from that second go-round, and that'll be declared next weekend. The thing just got underway, so there's not much point in saying too much about uh, who's winning, who's losing, but I think we should note some of the notables that are playing in this thing. Alberta, probably the most notable. Cheryl Bernard, former Olympic silver medalist, is representing that province. Ontario, Sherry Madaw, BC, Marianne Arsenault, although you would remember Marianne from Nova Scotia because she played with Colleen Jones, but she's now in BC from Prince Edward Island. Kim Dolan in Saskatchewan, Sherry Anderson. On the men's side, again, some notables. Grant Ottershaw from New Brunswick, played in the Briar many times. Ontario Brian Cochran, who is a former seniors champion from a couple of years ago. And Nova Scotia Alan O'Leary, who again has played in many Briars. So that's underway, and we'll bring you the results of that in our show next week. Uh, in the Netherlands, the final qualifying event for the Olympics uh, just got underway. Uh, and the first event is being played as the mixed doubles. Warren, give us an update on that. Well, Olympic qualifiers start on the 5th and will end on the 18th. And uh, as mentioned, it's mixed doubles, men's and women's. And also, as mentioned, mixed doubles has already started. There's 14 teams who are battling for the final two Olympic spots. This is the way they're doing it. They're divided into two pools of seven for a round robin. And at the end of the round robin, three teams from each division will advance to the playoffs where there will be two spots awarded. Most notable team in the group is probably the USA, Chris Plies and Vicky Persinger. After a couple of rounds, they are still undefeated, but the other interesting undefeated team in the same section as them is Korea. So I think look out for those two teams at the moment. The men's and women's will start once the mixed doubles has been completed. Nine men's teams and nine women's will begin fighting for two spots. They will play a single round robin. Once the round robin has been completed, the top team will advance to the Olympics, and then two will play three for the second spot. Most notable is Eve Muirhead of Scotland, who just won the European Championships, but again, Scotland uh, still does not have a spot guaranteed to them in the Olympics. That's what's happening there. That is around the world. Sault Ste. Marie, Manitoba, the Netherlands. Very good. Uh, Thanks a lot to Sports Interaction for sponsoring our segment, What's Happening Around the Curling World. Uh, Hot Rock Topics. Uh, This got juicy, actually, this week. Uh, Brought to you by Coyote Tractor. Uh, Thanks a lot to those guys. Proud partner of Team Brad Jacobs and the Grand Slam of Curling. Coyote, we dig dirt. This past week was an interesting time for top-tier curling as one of the best teams in the world parted company with its third player, Darren Molding. It is interesting. It seems every time this happens, it's an issue that gets many people up in arms and rightfully so. This always seems to fall back into the hands of the skip to run what is now a business, the skip becomes the manager, director of media relations, business manager, and to some degree coach. Have we reached a time when maybe each of these teams needs some people surrounding them with credentials, or maybe the training and selection of coaches should be broader? The other thing this latest change has created is one more time, Team Canada is disrupted. On the men's side, the last time was the 2014 Olympic year. Seems Olympic years are bad. Should Team Canada become a thing of the past? 
So that's what uh, we've put together for all of this, Warren. You've been pretty outspoken about this stuff in the past. You're not really pleased the way these top teams get sort of handled by Curling Canada. What What are your thoughts on all of this? Well, I'm not sure if it's totally Curling Canada's responsibility, but I think it's something, again, a proper players association could begin to address some of this stuff and and offer a path forward. I, I guess as teams are coming up through the ranks, they sort of have to learn all these things by osmosis. There's really nobody there that's set out to help them move to the next step when they get to the stage where they're becoming a business and they need to be managed properly. So I think each one kind of stumbles around and finds out their way of going forward to a very large degree. Certainly on the coaching side of the thing, this is where Curling Canada is involved in the training end of it. That whole part of it is done in coordination with the teams. But I'm looking at these other things that kind of just go untouched. And is it a time that there's somehow determined a way of moving forward that there's proper training in all these specified areas so that things are handled properly and not necessarily always by the skip? Because now the skip has got a huge amount of weight on their shoulders and uh, it just adds more burden to it. So I think it's something that, again, not sure whose total responsibility is. Maybe it's a curling Canada working with a players group that they begin to find a different path forward with all these things. And then the Team Canada thing, you know, I'll go back to why Team Canada came into existence. This was back with the Scotties Term of Hearts in 1984. And it was determined when that event was uh, in its very embryo stage, uh, needed some help to ensure that there was a highlight at the Canadian Championship, a, a team that could be promoted for a year going into the event. Because again, with provincial territorial championships, you don't know who was playing in the event until about a week or two before. So one of the main reasons for originally developing Curl Canada was there's going to be a team there for uh, the hosting group to promote for a year who you knew for sure that was going to be playing in the event. I think we've passed that point in time. And uh, again, this whole thing where a team's got to stay together a year after they've won creates all sorts of issues. And, and these Olympic years are different because once the team's completed a credential, if you didn't win in the trials, to some of them, that quad has ended. And they start to look at making changes right at that point. Again, I, I look at the Cooey team in 2014 when they won the Briar, but interesting enough, it seems as if Kevin Cooey had made a decision to go with a totally different team for the following year. And whoops, all of a sudden we won the Briar and they're going into a world championship. And at that point in time, they know the team isn't going to be together the following year. And so maybe with all this in mind, it's time to take a look at things differently. Maybe those final two teams in the Briar that aren't a provincial territorial representative simply need to be the next two highest teams on the Canadian team ranking system. I don't know. Your thoughts, Kevin? Wow, this is a big question. First one, when you're talking about teams needing staff, that should have been done a long time ago. I remember a really good meeting had with Brad Jacobs after they won the Olympic gold in 2014. He wanted a couple hour meeting just to discuss exactly that, how to set up the team behind the curling team. And that would be your PR person, your agency, your media person, uh, your coach, and your general manager, whatever you want to call it, owner, whatever. So we had a good talk about that. And uh, as far as PR person, that's the first person that I, I brought onto our team. And she's still with me today, actually, Lorraine Quatero from Toronto. Um, she was with IMG Canada back in 1998. And we started talking about all of this stuff, how curling teams, you know, need to be able to be seen more than they were at the time. So when we, for example, when coming to Toronto to curl an event anywhere in Ontario, um, you know, these are shows, of course, a lot of the young people listening to our podcast won't recognize, but there's, uh, we'd start the morning with Canada AM and then go to CBC Morning News, CP24, and we did the whole gamut till 5.30 at night when we did the, the Bob McCowan 590 show, the Fan 590, and we'd go all day starting at around 6.30 in the morning and be done around 6 o'clock at night, and we did that in almost every city we went to. If we went to Vancouver, went to Winnipeg, Saskatoon, we would hit all the media, and Lorraine would set all of that up, and then at the time, we actually were using uh, Bruce Ellen Talent as a uh, agency back in uh, 2000, 2001, 2002. And then Lorraine moved over to a company that could do that as well. So they did our agency stuff starting in around 2004-ish. And, and it was really a big deal when we went to big events that I didn't have to worry about media. And that's something I want to talk to Brad Gushu about when he was on our show today is uh, how he handles media because that's really important so it doesn't overwhelm the athlete. 
And then, of course, with coaches, what are their roles? Do they just technically coach a team along with you know, uh, stuff on ice, be it you know, rock selection, all of that kind of stuff? Or do they get more into the team management end where if people maybe don't need to get cut, but need to, you know, somebody needs to shake them down, smarten up, get working harder, the things that coaches do or the general manager may do. So these are all stuff that we've been talking about for years. And, and that's something that's overdue in curling to have behind the top teams, this group of people that, that can take a lot of the stress off of the athlete. And that's one thing interesting about curling is you've got a young team, let's just say somebody like a Tanner Horgan, who's just coming up, obviously going to be hard, Tyler, Tyler Tardy. These guys are going to be very, very good at some point. We just don't know when, that's all. So right now they get a little bit of sponsorship in, they do, they travel around, you know, it's low budget and they do what they can to improve their game as fast as they can. But one day they win something big and all of a sudden, boom, and then bigger sponsorship, more media attention. And then now all of a sudden you win a trials and you go onto the, the international stage in Olympics, it's just blows up a hundredfold. but you don't have the the agency behind you to control this, this new thing that's just happened to you and your family's life, including all of your teams, the members and their families, because it changes everything. But if you're not prepared, you're really behind the eight ball. And it gets very stressful for the athlete. And this, this is all very important stuff that I, I believe there has to be some sort of a teaching seminar situation put on by, I don't know who, maybe it's Curling Canada, maybe it's us, I don't know who, but somehow we got to get the athletes understanding and just realizing that this is a thing, that you can have all this agency help behind you to become a, a stronger business model going forward. Now, as far as Team Canada goes, I don't mind the concept of Team Canada. The uh, reason being is that it gives the organizing body, be it Curling Canada, whoever the case may be, on these events where you don't know who's going to be in it, a picture to put on the poster. That's the tricky part when you don't know who's going to qualify out of the provinces until just before, or who's going to be the top uh, ranking person till just before necessarily. It could be a four or a five horse race and only two get in. So you can't really put anybody on the poster in case they don't get in. So that's where Team Canada, I think, makes sense uh, from a marketing 101 standpoint. You know this really good team is coming to town. They can do the speaking engagements beforehand. They can do the promotion with the, the sponsors, you know, with the city, with tourism, wherever it is. Uh, all of these very important meetings that happen, you will have the rep from somebody that actually will be in the event. Warren reminded me this week that one of the odd things about curling, Kevin, and and it came to the forefront, the coach is hired by the skip. You know, you don't see any other sport where this sort of coaching team relationship works. It's, you know, Darren Molding was very outspoken, said he didn't get along with Donnie Bartlett. He said he kept running, in his words, running to the skip to get approval. And, and so it's really kind of strange, Kevin, the way it's set up. The team themselves, the players, get to hire or fire the coach anytime they want. So it's kind of weird. Well, it's not even the whole team necessarily. And that's the thing. So back in the day in 1998, when Lorraine came on to work, that team was with Walchuk and Carter and Donnie Bartlett. But then, of course, teams change. The staff staff or whatever you want to call it. Lorraine's hardly staff. She's <laughs> she's bigger than that on, on our team over the years. But whatever you want to call the people behind the team that help run it, it goes from team to team to team, including the coach. So Jules was with me for 30 years. He coached me. So you're right. Like it was a kind of a coach that was with me the entire 30 years and the different team members came on and went off, came on and went off. So you're right, Jimmy. It's a very unusual situation, whereas most teams in most sports, you have a general manager who hires the coach and the players. It's a different sport that way. So it's sort of how this whole sport has evolved and we still are continuing on today that there's really no line between who is a high performance athlete and who is a club player and who is sort of somebody in between. And it's all blurred. And so people don't really know in many cases, where am I? Who am I? Am I am I a club recreational player? Am I a tier two player? Or am I a high performance player? And you just kind of, by osmosis, move from one layer to the other. Then all of a sudden you might wake up one morning and you've got to the top tier level. And now what? And that's part of the problem. There's no clear lines and there's no way of dealing with people in that segment versus this segment versus this segment. And uh, that's one of the things I think that still is hurting. Some people feel it's a strength of sport. I personally feel it's a weakness. Uh, thanks a lot to Coyote Tractor for sponsoring the Hot Rock Topics. Uh, time to go to Mailbag. Nestle Boost. 
is the sponsor of that, and we thank uh, them. Up your nutrition game with Boost, convenient meal replacement drinks with a taste you're guaranteed to love. Into the mailbag, and we pull out this. Hi, everyone. I've been thinking about the Canadian residency rules. I am an American, and it doesn't apply to me, but I feel as though this rule is a mess. When Jocelyn and Brett get married, two Olympians, uh, will they need to take the residency rule into consideration? Jocelyn lives in Manitoba now, but was born in Alberta. Brett lives in Newfoundland, but was born in PEI. Since Jeff is from Alberta and living in Alberta, to stay in compliance, Jocelyn will need to move to Newfoundland. If they decide for themselves that living in Newfoundland is not what is best for their family, will Curling Canada just turn a blind eye for Team Gushu? Do professional curlers just accept this rule as part of being an athlete? Should there be an exemption to take into account how long all four players have been together as a team? That's from Rebecca Clark in Denver, Colorado. Warren, what do you think? I know what you think, but I want to hear it again. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, here we go again. And, and it's funny, but she's right. I mean, this all becomes so confusing and so crazy. I guess from my point of view, if this interprovincial approach is going to be continued to use for the National Men's and Women's Championships in Canada, this whole residency rule thing should just fly out the window completely and totally. And I guess let the chips fall where they may when that happens, because it's just uh, right, right, right now the way it is, it's it's almost foolish because, you know, by the whole way, the whole thing has been adjusted there. They have made it so certain teams can fit into the category. I mean, the home team I keep using, but they play out of Ontario. All three of them live in Alberta. And that's not the only one. And uh, it makes no sense. They need to probably, I think, just eliminate the uh, the residency rule. And uh, the feeling of some is, well, people will start to move just to play in the Briar into a particular province. I don't think too many will. And if that's what happens, it does. It's not a big deal, I don't think. Kevin, what do you think? Oh, boy. Yeah, this is something else. Um, well, yeah, I don't know how to really even respond. Same as Warren. It's just, uh, it's, it's, it is a mess. Um I guess over time, there's some really, really good curlers. And, and for marketing 101 reasons, which makes a lot of sense, the Curling Canada wants to make sure that certain teams are in their national championship, knowing that maybe the residency rules just don't make much sense. So they just sort of massage them accordingly, depending on the stature of the team that needs to have it massaged, if that makes sense. And over time, it's just got massaged a lot. So it's very, very muddy and... um yeah, it might be time just to get rid of it. I, I right now it's it's such a mess that it doesn't really matter where people come from because you can always just figure it out. Look at the rules and do things accordingly, uh, so that the player can come from X province to play with X team, no matter where they're from and how many provinces. You know, there's teams that are pretty much made up of four different provinces, and but you just figure out a way have an apartment here, a, a job here, and uh, this and that, and you just figure out the rules that keep changing. And it is a problem. It's definitely a problem. It's just a matter of how they want to deal with it because it should be dealt with. Anybody that wants to get around this will figure out a way to get around it. So what is now the point of it? It, it, it makes no sense to continue it when you know if you want a particular team to get together or you want them to be formulated, it'll happen. So why have this rule? Just get rid of it. It's like saying if you're going to play for the Edmonton Oilers, you got to be from Edmonton. Well, at one time you probably did. If you go back to the old days, I'm sure originally the Toronto Maple Leafs and the Montreal Canadiens, they were players from those cities. But uh, today, with most of these pro teams and they win a, whatever championship it is, is anybody on that team even from that city often? Probably not. And we're still, again, it's like my previous comments about this whole evolution of this sport we seem to drag our feet with things and can't realize that the world has changed things have changed we got to change all this but they hang on okay fellas that can only mean one thing someone's knocking at the door it's time to bring on our guest brad gushu Every sport has their big, juicy controversy. Boxing has the Mike Tyson ear bite. Cycling has Lance Armstrong. Baseball has its steroid era. Curling has... Broomgate. 
It's a story of broken relationships, houses divided, corporate rivalry, and a performance-enhancing broom. It was a year I'd like to forget. Broomgate. Available now. There's a knock at the door. In the house is brought to you by Goldline. Goldline curling equipment can be found in pro shops and curling stores all around the world. Plus, there are retail stores in Calgary, London, Scarborough, Mississauga, and they've got two stores in Ottawa. Goldline can be found at every Grand Slam of curling event and online anytime at goldlinecurling.com. Uh, we're bringing in a fourth time zone. You know, we've got Warren in Vancouver, me in Alberta. We've got our producer in Toronto, and we go down to Newfoundland. And, of course, we we're talking about Brad Gushu, who joins us this morning, the reigning trials champion who's on his way to the Olympics. Brad, welcome to the show, and congratulations. Boy, what, a, what an achievement. Thanks. Appreciate it, guys. I got to ask you, Brad, when you throw the last stone or you know that moment, you know, when you come up out of the hack and knowing that, good God, we're going to the Olympics, can you remember the first thing that fires into your mind when you realize it's going to happen? Yeah, I I think for us this time, it was a little bit different because I played my last shot. We didn't quite roll as far as what we wanted. And, and Brad was left with a, you know, a tough shot, but certainly a shot we expect him to make. And, and when it was coming down the sheet and it looked like it might roll too far, I was kind of like prepping myself. No, this is going to curl up, get ready to play the extra end. You're going to have to draw the forefoot. And then it wasn't until the rock made contact and I seen it leaving the eight foot that I was, there was just as much shock, I, I guess, that he missed and that, you know, it was over and we won, you know, just as much shock as there was excitement and relief, <laughs> like all those emotions that go through your body. And I remember looking at my face after it was done and, and or after I watched the video and it looked more shock than anything. So you get into that zone and, and you just try and focus and you try not to look ahead and stay in the moment. And then when it's done, it's just that level of re- relief and excitement that goes through your body is, is it's incredible. It's uh, it's fun to experience. Yeah. And your dad was there again, of course, they kept flashing to him in the stands. It was, he it was like just, you know, holding his head in his hands a couple of times. Yeah. The, yeah. He was, he was great. Your father. Yeah. My mom, just- my mom was there as well. So it was nice having that, them there throughout the week. Uh, I didn't get to interact with them as much as I would like, but halfway through the week, I had a good chat with them. They came down when we got the the bye to the final. And then obviously after the game, we were able to celebrate with them a bit. So having them there to support us, you know, uh, I think any athlete would, uh, would agree with me that it, it means the world and, and it certainly helps. I was choking up. I, I, I got to admit when I saw you win that thing, uh, who better ask an Olympic champion uh, on his way to the Olympics again for the second time than another Olympian, uh, Kevin, you and Brad have that in common as well as many other things. <laughs> yeah, Brad, and I have lots in common. Yeah. We've got lots to talk about this, this, uh, this morning, but thank you, Brad, for coming on and taking the time. I know you're really busy. I think you're at Queens, right? Queens university. Is that where you're at right now? Yeah, I'm, I'm in Kingston right now. Um, I'm doing my last week of my MBA. So last bit of classes. Uh, once this is done, another week or two of, of finishing off some assignments and, and I'll be done. So, uh, looking forward to that. And then the focus will shift 100% to, to Beijing. But right now I got to put my head into the books and, and, uh, and be ready for this. Not often would you talk to somebody your age, Brad, and I'd ask, oh, so what do you, what do, you do after the trials before, uh, you know, before you get going to Beijing? Not often would you hear, well, I'm going to go to school for a few weeks and uh, lick up a little bit of, of university stuff. Hey, I wanted to, before we get going too much into the curling stuff, uh, your uncle is usually sitting beside your dad, but he wasn't there at the trials. What's the scoop? No, he, he had an opportunity to, or they were kind of celebrating his work experience. So he's been at the same business for, for 40 years and never had a sick day. So they were celebrating that and, and, uh, the CEO of the company came down and presented him an award. And, and obviously that's a good excuse to, you know, to miss a big event like this. But I know he would have liked to been there, but, you know, that's quite the achievement and, and worth celebrating and, um, happy for him. And I'm sure the next briar we get to or, or next trials, he'll, he'll be there supporting, supporting us along with my mom and dad and, and my wife and the rest of my family. Did you just say 40 years? 40, yeah. 40. Yeah, 40. Yeah. That's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's pretty, wow. pretty incredible. So. 
I had 40 sick days per year whenever I worked. Yeah. <laughs> wow, what an accomplishment. Let's talk about schedule because we, like, we talked about your school schedule here. But after such a, uh, a huge event, a huge win, and yes, I saw it in your face. You're usually this guy that wants to keep his emotions in check, but you certainly weren't able to do that after that final. The schedule going forward, how much time will you take off and, and get your mind right before you get back on that ice again? Or are you just continuing to throw? Uh, no, taking some time off. So we took a, a week off right after the event. I'm obviously here in Kingston, so I'm not practicing this week. So in total for me, it's going to be two weeks. We'll be back on the ice as soon as I get back to St. John's. We'll be back practicing and, you know, we'll go right up until Christmas and then take a few days over Christmas. And, um, you know, I would say we'll practice probably two or three times during the Christmas break just to kind of keep the legs loose. And then uh, in January, then we'll we'll kind of go fairly hard to, to get ready. I think for us, you know, it's not so much the mental break. Like we, we never played a whole bunch this fall, so I don't think we're mentally fatigued. It's more the, the physical part and, and making sure, you know, I feel good. I had some little, I shouldn't say little, <laughs> some hip issues there at the trials that fortunately um, – with the assistance of a physiotherapist up there, I was able to overcome, but want to make sure I can get that cleaned up before we get to Beijing. And we want to make sure that that's taken care of because going in there healthy is the biggest part for us. Yeah, no, no, no question about that. Especially, uh, well, I, uh, in in Vancouver, uh, 2010, that was a daily ritual for me in the morning and at night with, uh, with doctors. That's my next question, I guess. Are you able to bring over uh, whoever it is that works on your hip on a, whatever it is, daily, weekly uh, basis. Is that person able to come with you? Um, we had the benefit in Vancouver, of course, only being a little ways from home. So I had fantastic doctors on my hip uh, during the event. Yeah. So it's a, it's a little bit different this time. So we, we're not going to have the, you know, the ability to have the size of support staff that you would have had in Vancouver, or even we had in, in Torino, just with with COVID and all the regulations, but there is a physiotherapist going over. So, you know, we're in the process right now of, of having her talk to, to my physiotherapist and, and the physiotherapist that worked on me uh, in Saskatoon and, and uh, making sure that, you know, she's capable and comfortable working on that kind of, you know, my injury. And uh, we'll get to meet her now and, and probably she's going to come with us, I believe in Camrose. So make sure that that works. If not, we'll find a, another solution, but, that is at or near the top of our priority list to make sure that we have that support over there. Cause it's not just myself. Um, you know, we've, we've seen in the past with Jeff at the Briar and St. John's, you know, with his shoulder issue, uh, you know, he wasn't able to sweep for the, for the playoffs. Uh, we want to make sure that we have someone there that can keep us in working order throughout the event. So Brad, between now and the Olympics, some things to play on. Are you playing in the grand slam event in Camero? Is anything else on the schedule? Yeah, right now we're we're still really trying to nail down our schedule. The only event that we're confirmed for is is the Grand Slam in Camrose. We have an opportunity to play our provincial championships. I think we're one of the few provinces that allowed that opportunity. Um, but we haven't decided on that yet. We still have still have probably another two weeks before we have to make that final decision. And there's some things we want to work through. Um, because it's not just a matter of playing provincials. We have to be prepared that if we win provincials, we play the Briar. And if we win the Briar, we play Worlds. And, you know, adding those events with the Olympics and the other Grand Slams, it, it all of a sudden the schedule gets extremely full. And we have to make sure that we're, we can do that just from a life standpoint, whether it's, you know, my businesses, my family or the guys' families. There's, there's a lot of things to consider. And we haven't really had the opportunity to, dig into that yet. And fortunately, we've been allowed to, to hold off until I get back from Kingston to make those final decisions. So you're going to China, to Beijing. Have you been there before? I haven't been to Beijing. I, I stopped over in Beijing, but I haven't been to the city. Um, our team actually had an opportunity to go to China a number of years ago, but it was in Chongqing, uh, which is quite a ways away from Beijing. But, uh, you know, we got to experience a bit of the, the Chinese culture. You know, disappointing when we go over this time, like we're, it's going to be bubble experience is going to be the athletes village in the venue. So we're not going to get to see, you know, some of the, the sites, the great wall and, and things like that. But, you know, it's still going to be pretty amazing to get over there with the other athletes and be in the village as, as Kevin can attest. That's, that's really the highlight of the Olympics is that bigger team and, and, uh, being around a lot of really, really good athletes. So it sounds like you're going to be pretty much, uh, isolated to the village from what you're saying. Do you know how far the curling venue is from the village and how is that all going to work out? Any idea? 
I don't know the the distance, but essentially, I, I think the only three places we will see will be the airport, the village, and the venue. <laughs> so uh, it, it's pretty well going to be isolated to that. So we've been through that before. I think that's uh, when we look back at what we did in in the spring with the the bubble in Calgary. Uh, we can take a lot of our experience there and, and translate it into what we're going to have over there. So. I think we're well prepared for that. We're hoping we're going to be able to go to other venues as well and, and support some of the the other Canadian athletes. But I'm not even sure if if that's a possibility at this point. You know, fingers crossed. So basically, it's just the entourage that goes with you. You can't take any family, any friends, anybody else. It's just the immediate group that's working with. Is that correct? Yeah, exactly. Uh, family and friends aren't allowed. I don't think any anybody from outside of China is allowed in unless you're an athlete or support staff. So. We're not going to be able to take our families over there, which is which is disappointing. But you know they're going to be able to experience it at home and watch us on TV and and do all that. So it's there's a lot of positives here. I don't want to sound like um, we're disappointed in all this, but certainly when you compare it to what we went through 16 years ago, there there's different things that are in place because of the impact of COVID and. You know, we have to be prepared for that and, and ready for it. And we are. It's still going to be a great experience, but it's certainly going to be a different experience. What about uh, alternate player? I know this is an open-ended thing when it comes to the Olympics. There's no guarantee that the alternate that you currently have would be going with you. Is is that been discussed? What's going to happen there? Yeah, there, there's been some discussions. I, I think we were planning on making a press release uh, fairly soon on on kind of the next steps. But I, you know, I have no problem sharing it with you guys first. So we, we do have an opportunity going over there to take two coaches. So Jules obviously will be taking one of those spots, and, and Jeff Thomas, who is our alternate at the trials, is going to move into the other spot. And, and to be honest, Jeff has always been our coach. Uh, you know, we put him in the alternate position because that was what was available. He's been working with us for years from a technical standpoint, helping us run our practices, and, and he's an integral part of the team. So to have him join the, the coaching staff, we're super pumped for and, and glad he's going to be a part of it. So that opens up an opportunity for us to take a fifth man. We don't have one chosen at this point. Again, that's something we're we're going to be discussing once I'm I'm done here in Kingston. But certainly looking for someone that's going to be able to you know be able to play multiple positions, someone that's going to fit well with our team. And we, we've got a short list, but we're not there yet. You know, we also have to make sure that they're willing to go because you know it's quite a commitment. They're essentially going to have to be away for for about a month, plus some of the training camps that we're going to have between now and then. So we got a few steps to go before we we get there. Just before I leave, an interesting other question. I've heard various things regarding COVID protocols in China and that they they had at one point a twenty one day isolation period going to that country. Is there any word about exactly what's going on with that? Yeah, so I don't think that's going to apply to us getting in. But what I've been told is, is if we, if one of us are unfortunate enough to to test positive for COVID, then we have to isolate for 21 days, which is uh, really really scary. So we're going to make sure we do everything possible to to uh, to avoid it. You know, going over there with our own isolation and, and our own procedures that we take, we're going to be super cautious. But I think there's no quarantine before the event. We, we have to do that isolation before we go over and then they're going to test us every day, you know, with a PCR test, not just uh, the rapid test. So they're going to be careful with us to say the least. So anybody going over there, if they catch COVID while they're there, they're going to be slapped into isolation immediately for 21 days. That's uh that's what we've been told, and and uh, that's scary. Obviously, they're they're trying to protect their country and protect their people, which uh, which you can understand. But twenty one days in a hotel room is is not something we want to do. So, and even from a bigger standpoint, we don't we don't want to get it just from a health standpoint, and and also the impact it's going to have on our team and our ability to play. So, the twenty one day isolation is down on the list, but it's pretty scary to think about. Well, Brad, lucky you're taking Jules because, uh, you know, if you need an extra player, Jules played in the 1992 Olympics, you know, so he's, <laughs> so he's got some experience. I'm not sure his knees would hold up anymore, uh, <laughs> you know, so, uh, but we're, we're fortunate to have Jules, as you know, Kevin, um, uh, you know, he tracks those rocks and, and, Tracks those rocks as good as anybody, and and when he's all of a sudden sees a rock kind of moving through the lineup, you know that it raises red flags, and and we're able to isolate those as good or better than any other team out there, and and figure out what's going on with that rock, and 
you know, we're, we're often surprised sometimes when we get in the playoffs of these big events, the, the rocks that other teams choose. And that's one thing we, we've never had the experience of going in and saying, you know what, we've got bad rocks here. So we've, we've always been good that way and, and been surprised by some of the, the sets that other teams have had. Um, we've seen it where teams have actually taken what we feel are a couple of the worst rocks in, in the whole building and then they're using them in a, in a playoff game. You know what? I, I'm going to go off topic here a little bit because you're right. In 2009, playing Glenn Howard in the final, he used a, a it was a four rock and a one rock off a couple of sheets. I believe I could be wrong with the numbers, but the the way the rocks ran, it was without question. When we saw the the rocks out on the ice, Jules and I looked at each other, didn't say a word because we're miked, and just looked at each other and went, "Oh my goodness!" The one rock that Glenn picked was straight. Anyway. And if you just go back over the over the footage of that game, Glenn missed uh, three really important shots with his his uh, rock staying straight, and it was his last one. And that was the difference between the game winning and losing. And and of course, with that being the case, we certainly had Glenn try shots that would be impacted if his rock was straight. And uh, so you're right; it's a huge a difference. When I was watching the final. And I don't know if you remember, I'm, I'm sure you do, when we, you and I played together in the trials, when you're our fifth, the discussions that we had about a multitude of things, from team chemistry to picking stones going into the playoffs, when we went into the playoffs against, I believe it was Jimmy Cotter and, and, and Johnny Moe in the semi, and talking about that and talking about all these different things. I really enjoyed those discussions, and then hearing you talk with Mark Nichols, during the trials, I thought it was kind of neat. Do you remember those discussions that we had? Because a lot of them stick with me big time. Yeah, no, I, I do. And and that was kind of, you know, one thing that I was proud of that experience that we went through was, you know, Jules and I would go out and practice at night and, and match those rocks. And, and the fact that you never changed the whole week with the rocks that you were given, I was like, okay, that's good. I did a good job. Um, and you you played incredible. The whole team played played really well. But those conversations uh, about the rocks and, and seeing how in depth that you, you know you went into it with Jules and, and obviously I was part of that as well. We took that experience into our team and, and kind of ramped up the way we handle the rocks. You know, we obviously matched them before, but never took as much care as, as what we did since that experience that I had with you and, and the team back in I guess it was. 2014? Yeah, 2013, so. 2014. Yeah, a long time ago now. I know, Brad. But hey, uh, I know I know you don't have very much time today, but I really want to talk to you about uh, the next part that really uh, is a problem for a lot of young athletes when they're going to the Olympics for the first time, and that's media and uh, media relations and, and just trying to handle the onslaught when you're a medal contender, and obviously your team is going into this Olympics. How do you handle the media? What's the setup? Like, what's the your team setup? And is it connected with Curling Canada, or is it is it your own media liaison? How is it working? Yeah, so so right now it's it is me, <laughs> but uh, certainly as we approach the Olympics, there's going to be some a lot more structure that's put in the place. I've I've done a, a ton of interviews since we got back, and and. Um, you know, I think I'm through that first storm, but there, you know, there's another storm when you get a couple of weeks out from the Olympics and, and um, you know, everybody wants to see how you're feeling going in. So we're going to have some blackout times and, and allow some times for all of our local uh, media to, to come down and meet us at the club. And then when we do our staging, which we're still trying to determine, but that's likely going to be in the Toronto area. We'll set up another media availability just to, to keep it to a couple hours where everybody can ask their questions, get it done. We got a ton done on Monday after after the Olympics uh, or after the Olympic trials. So I think we are should be a little bit in the clear, you know, some one-offs between now and, and that uh, next surge in January. I'm certainly ready for that. And, you know, I enjoy chatting curling. I enjoy chatting about our experiences. So that's not something that I find too burdensome. But when it becomes you know, seven, eight, nine, ten interviews in the course of a, a day or two, you know, it does take away from the stuff that you, you normally have to do in your life, you know, being a dad, working, practicing, all that stuff. So, Brad, your second time to the Olympics, you, you won it in uh, 2006, that's 16 years ago. You know, I've always said uh, winning the Canadian National Championship is probably as tough as any event. You know, our country's champion is, has to go through a, a lot to win it. You won gold in Turin and you're coming back here. The competition now, Brad, can, I mean, I'm probably answering my own question here, but the competition now must be 
five times better than it was in Italy or you know, over these last 16 years, the way where curling's got to. Who are you looking at when you go into the Olympics here and, and the amount of teams that are going to be taking a run at you guys? That's a great question because when we went into 2006 at the Olympics, you know, we weren't even the best team in Canada. There's, there's no doubt about that. We got on a, got on a run in the trials to win that. But when we went to the Olympics, we knew that if we, if we probably play our B game, we're going to be there at the end of the week. You know, that was our feeling. Like we didn't feel like we had to go in and play our best to, to come away with a medal. That's completely different this time around because the level around the world has increased so much. You have teams like, you know, Bruce Mallett, Nicholas Sedin, Peter DeCruz that are competing at the Grand Slams, you know, each and every week that we hold them. Uh, Bruce just won three in a row. Nicholas has probably won three. And I think Peter's won one or two. You know, these are really, really good teams that are, you know, are, are as good or even better than some of the teams that we have in Canada. So it's, it's not a matter of us just going there and playing our B game. Like we're going to have to go there and play well to get on the podium. And, and it's a completely different mindset for us going in this time than it was 16 years ago. But, you know, it also makes it more exciting. And, and we also know that we're a much better team than we were 16 years ago. We're much more consistent. So that's, the positive and, and something that we're going to go in with a lot of confidence on because of our experience and because of our consistency. Are they going to do an opening ceremonies, Brad? Uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to put your name in to carry the flag, man. <laughs> well, you know what? If they decided to choose me for that, I'd be honored. But there's a ton of really good athletes and we don't have to look very far. You just don't look over on the women's team with with Caitlin, you know, two time Olympic gold medalist. Uh, she'd be an awesome choice. Jen would be a, an awesome choice as well. There's you know, and we're just looking at the sport of curling. Once you get beyond that and, and look at some of the other sports, whether it's bobsleigh or figure skating, there's tons of good choices. But I'd love to be able to hold it at the closing ceremonies. That, uh, that means you've done something special throughout the week, and, and uh, that's where I'd love to do it. You mentioned uh, certainly household names from the world curling scene, but I think there's a few others that possibly would have you a little concerned. I'm looking at Italy and Russia in particular, probably those teams from Asia. Uh, I think that's probably a little different than it was in 2006, isn't it? The fact that there's more teams that you got to be. Well, there's an Olympic, uh, the defending Olympic gold medalist uh, is there too. Yeah, Sch Schuster. There's so much depth, um, and and even going back 16 years ago, there was a couple game or twos that were a game or two that were. I, I hate to use the word the expression, but they were almost happens. Like they were relatively easy games. That's not going to happen. And, and you mentioned Russia. We played that Russian team before. They beat us. Uh, the Italian team has beaten us in the past. You know, and whoever comes through this Olympic qualification, uh, you know, with whether it's Korea or or the Japanese teams, like these are quality teams. So there's going to be no tap-in games, no easy games. Uh, you know, I did highlight those three teams, but Kevin's right. Like John Schuster's there and, and you know, and they get up for the big championships and, the, and they're going to be, they're going to be around. They're going to be there at the end of the week. And, you know, hopefully we're just uh, a couple games ahead of them. Yeah, I was looking at your Briar appearances and I thought they must have repeated some years here, but you've been there 18 times uh, that you've been to the Briar. What's the growth of curling like in your province, Brad? And are there going to be some guys, you know, coming up and taking a run at you over the next little while? Our junior program right now is is pretty good. We got some good young teams. Um, we had a team that just lost on, out on the uh, the world qualifier in the final. Nathan Young, good young player, and and even we we had a player that uh, that moved to Nova Scotia to that joined the team that's going to the worlds. Uh, so we're producing some good players and, and I think that's going to continue. I'm, I'm certainly hoping that what we did last week can be translated into, uh, you know, a few more bums in the club because I, I think that's where curling's struggling. There's, there's tons of interest in the game and we see the TV numbers, which are incredible. Uh, we just got to find a way to get more, more of these kids in the clubs and not just the kids, but adults as well. And, you know, the participation in the game is, in my opinion, even more important than them watching on TV. The watching on TV benefits people like myself and like you guys, but it doesn't benefit the clubs. And, and that's where we need to see, you know, we, we got to be able to convert some of the that interest into participation. Right on, Brad. You're, uh, thanks very much for coming on. This is fantastic. Uh, it is even more incredible that you're on your way to the Olympics and you're, you're knocking out an MBA at Queen's. You got to go. You have an assignment. What's the assignment, Brad? Maybe we can help you with it. What What, what are you working on? <laughs> there's actually I got four left to do. So there's a 
there's a marketing one, an economics one. Um, I got our capstone, which is kind of takes in the, the whole uh, the whole year. So there's a bit of work ahead, but I'm hoping to be done by Christmas with all the assignments. Uh, but it's going to be nice after this week to be done with the classes and and then just uh, bang out those assignments when I get some free time and. And I'll probably have a, a Guinness or two once uh, once I press submit on that last assignment and then uh, shift the focus 100% curling. And, and I say shift the focus, but you guys know me well. It's, it's probably still already 100% on curling, but it'll take away this uh, time commitment that I've had to give to this MBA over the last 12 months. Right on, Brad. You are going to be one of the front runners, uh, one of the favorites for a Canadian gold medal. Uh, boy, that's a... That's a lofty title. Uh, Go Canada, go. Thanks a lot, Brad, for doing this. And and best of luck, uh, of course, coming up in the next few months. Thanks for having me, guys. Anytime. Hopefully, we'll chat before we, uh, we head over to Beijing. Hey, thanks, Brad. Thanks, Brad. Good luck. Every sport has their big, juicy controversy. Boxing has the Mike Tyson ear bite. Cycling has Lance Armstrong. Baseball has its steroid era. Curling has... Broomgate. It's a story of broken relationships, houses divided, corporate rivalry, and a performance-enhancing broom. It was a year I'd like to forget. Broomgate. Available now. Well, uh, boys, if that guy doesn't win a, a gold medal, uh, Brad Gushu, and what a great representative, Kevin, for uh, Canada at the Olympics. And he'll be ready. He'll be ready to play. There's no question about that. Um, he made a, an interesting uh, comment where I'm not mentally tired. We didn't play that much before the trials. I thought that was interesting because he's, he's right. And that could be all part of the plan as well, just to be really, really mentally sharp um, going to the trials, which he obviously was. And in the same token, practicing some, not playing a lot again before the Olympics, making sure that both his hip is in, in great form as well as his mind. And uh, it seems to me uh, that Brad, from last summer all the way till today and going forward to the Olympics, has really thought this entire thing out well. He's managed his time, managed the team uh, very well so that they're trying to peak at the right time and so far so good. What, what would you tell their, that team, Warren, if you were a coach? You've been around a long time. What would you tell them uh, about the Olympics and what to expect, Warren, or what advice would you give them? When I look at that team, uh, the chemistry in that team is excellent. And certainly Brad and Nichols uh, are two peas in a pod. They've been together for so long. They work together so well. The front end fits in very well. So their, their chemistry is really good. I would tell those guys, just keep doing what you're doing because it's working. And uh, I don't think they need to adjust or change anything. Just approach it with the same point of view mentally that they have right now and just keep doing what they're doing. Let's move along to our next segment. We want to thank uh, Meridian for sponsoring Storytime. Thank you very much to Meridian Manufacturing, your industrial and on-farm storage and handling partners and proud sponsor of the Grand Slam of Curling. Kevin, you played in a number of Olympic trials. Tell us a story, Kev, about the pre-trials from a few years back. With what had happened this week with the Botcher team and and everything that happened with maybe the messaging from the statement could have been better, <laughs> to put it diplomatically, I thought maybe we'd step back in time to 2013 when our team split up and then the pre-trials trying to get towards the Olympic Games. So... In 2013, uh, with John Morris and Mark Kennedy and Ben Hebert and, and uh, Jules Ochar as the coach and myself, we played in the, in the Briar. And that was kind of the unraveling, I think, of that team. And so at the end of that season, it was time to make a change. And, and our team, that team was arguably the best curling team that's, that's ever played the game. So it was going to be a big deal when we split up, but there's no choice. Uh, we had to. The, the chemistry just wasn't there anymore. All still really good curlers, I think, but just, not there. And it was all about going forward to the Olympic trials and, uh, and the Olympics. So when it came to putting out a statement and John and I were, we weren't getting along real great at that time, but we actually did a lot of that statement together. And when it went out, there was no surprises. It was straightforward. Um, there were still, of course, lots of people that commented both ways. You know, you should stick together, stick it through and all these wonderful comments, but, but at least the message was clear. And then when we go towards the, uh, the fall, we ended up bringing on uh, Dave Nedowin for, for that season to throw third stone. 
And then, but going into the, I didn't know how that would work. So going into the uh, trials, the pre-trials had three big names in it. John Morris, Brad Jacobs, and Brad Gushu. Uh, Jacobs had just come off the Briar win. And Johnny Moe, of course, just came off of our team and got in with uh, Jimmy Cotter. And, uh, and, and, and Brad Gushu was just, you know, kind of uh, getting, getting into his own, actually, at that time. He'd won an Olympic gold, but was really getting good at that time. There was the three guys. So I phoned each one of them and said, hey, you know, you're in the trials. There's only two teams would win out of the trials to get into the Olympic trials, out uh, of the pre-trials, sorry, into the Olympic trials. And uh, so obviously one of them would be left out. So I talked to all three, just saying, you know, if you don't happen to win, would you come as a fifth? Because I've got Dave on the team and we never curled together and I don't know how it's going to work. And so that's how it was set up. And and in the end of the pre-trials, Brad, uh, Brad Gushu ended up not getting to the trial. So he came on as our fifth. And now there's still people questioning me about should Brad have played or not. And, you know, who knows? That's always, it's always clear in the rearview mirror. But you know, one thing I wanted to stress is because of last week and everybody worried about Darren and worried about Team Botcher and worried about all these things. After our team split up and we didn't win the trials, we ended up losing in the playoffs to guess who? John Morris beat us in the semi in a really good game. Like they played great. We played great. And it's just the way it goes. And they ended up playing the red hot Jacobs in the final. And of course, Brad Jacobs, he probably would have beat us too. They were curling so well. And uh, he went on to, of course, win the Olympic gold. So which was great for them. And great for Canada. But I wanted to talk a little bit about where did John Morris go after that? Like everybody, you know, what, what happened? Well, he almost went to the Olympics, kind of stepped back from curling, went into mixed doubles with Caitlin, off to the Olympics, won Olympic gold in 2018. So that that whole thing, I think, was a. I know John wasn't happy about it at the time, and, and we weren't either, but it was really good for John. And, he, and it didn't hurt him at all. And then ended up winning an Olympic gold and, and still playing well with Kevin Cooey. And let's look at Mark and Ben out of that situation. They ended up going, because I retired at the end of that year. That was pre-planned. The previous summer, everybody knew I was going to retire, even if we went to the Olympics or not. So then Mark and Ben went to Cooey. Well, they won a ton of stuff and got to go to the Olympic Games in Pyeongchang. You look at Dave Nedowin. He ended up winning a Players' Championship at the end of that year. And then you look at Jules Ochar, the coach. Ends up coaching Brad Gushu right afterwards, goes to the world, uh, wins the world championship, and now off to the Olympics. And, and by the way, as soon as uh, Brad uh, won to go to this Olympics, the next morning, guess who phones Jules? He says, well, Skippy, I'm one up on you. <laughs> <So> <laughs> you got to love these him. guys. But anyway, I just thought everybody, you know, there's been so much talk about the team botcher issue. It doesn't always turn out negative, everybody. For us, it, it, I, yes, it would have been great to, you know, curl with that tremendous team till I retired, but it wasn't possible. And that happens in sport, but it turned out positive for everybody involved, including Brad Jacobs team who ended up winning the gold medal that year. Kev, do they have the option to take anyone they want from any team? Well, uh, between them and and uh, Curling Canada, they, Curling Canada has to approve whoever they decide they think is the best fifth. But if it's somebody that is a reasonable fifth that could fill in and play and 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 do what's necessary, uh, I, I don't see there'd be any trouble. Isn't that correct, Warren? I just don't want to step out of school here. Yeah, it's to make sure that there's someone that's of the ability to be able to step in and for the team not to skip any beats when that happens if it does happen so it's to pick a player that can potentially step into probably vice skip or second or lead is is uh, usually the way they would go yeah in 2010 jimmy we took uh, adam enright who was a really good player at the time with us in 2002 in salt lake we took ken trollenberg who was a terrific player and actually played quite a bit on the tour with us anyways and then in 92 when we just got started actually who who our fifth was was jules ochar he, he was a coach and fifth he played in uh jewel i don't know if everybody knows this but jules ochar actually played games in the briar, in various briars, he played in the world championships and he played a full game at the bronze game, actually, because Donnie Bartlett was in Elberville with his wife because she was having some problems uh, during her pregnancy. And he actually played the bronze game. So Jules actually played in uh, briars, worlds and Olympic games for people that didn't know that. Uh, very good, Kevin. You're becoming a great storyteller. I just picture you sitting in a rocking chair reading us stories every week. <laughs> <laughs> Are you sitting on my knee, Jimmy? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> like the friendly giant. I'm gonna have Kev. Kev, come on over. It's time oh, for me to go to bed. What was that rooster's name? What was that rooster's name? Oh, are you kidding me? You don't know the characters? 
It's Rusty the Rooster. I know oh, that. Rusty. If you don't know the giraffe's name, both of you, okay, we've this show may be over. Do you know what the giraffe's name was? Jerome the Giraffe. It's Jerome the Giraffe. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, my. Anyway, thank you very much to Meridian for uh, sponsoring Storytime. That was great. Uh, boys, great show, um, as usual, and a great week uh, with everything that's going on in curling. Uh, we are reaching out to curling clubs all over the world and inviting you to contact us and ask to set up a one-hour Zoom call with myself, Kevin, and Warren to discuss anything you would like. Uh, we're doing this on a limited basis to see how it goes, and if this is something Inside Curling should consider to offer more and more down the road. Get in touch with us, with you or your curling league or your club, at insidecurling at gmail.com. Uh, we'd also like to thank Rod Paulson, who handles all of our Facebook uh, stuff. His company's called In-House Strategies, and they're doing just absolutely great work. Again, get a hold of us. We'd love to hear from you. Email insidecurling at gmail.com. Kev, go get another story. Okay, for next week, Warren, and uh, you go back to doing what you were doing, Warren. <laughs> Have a good week, fellas. <laughs> Thanks, Jimmy. Thanks, Jimmy.